Hawkeye Self Storage in Danville has electricity hookups, 14-foot-tall doors, and 60-foot drive lanes, private bays, interior and exterior lighting with 24-7 access gated entry. They also feature indoor RV and boat storage with three locations, 1303 East County Road 200 South in Danville, 7410 West U.S. 36 in Danville, and 2238 West U.S. Highway 36 in Danville. More information can be found by calling their phone number at 31. 31- 745-2700 or by going to their website hawkeyestorageunits.com Hey everybody, this is Rudy Sarzo and you're listening to Alice on WYRZ This is Sights and Sounds with Alan Kiger Alan is a Hendricks County native that talks with your favorite entertainers this is where Alan hangs out with music royalty. Sights and Sounds is sponsored by Hawkeye Storage in Danville. And now your host, Alan Kiger. This is Sights and Sounds. I'm your host, Alan Kiger, and my guest today is John Wade. Hello, John. How's your day going? Oh, pretty good, Alan. You know, it rained last night, which was good. I'm in California. I'm in uh, Santa Monica, so whenever it rains, I... I get up and watch it. You know, it's it's just great. So, but everything's okay. We're in lockdown. We're doing doing our best to get through. And uh, I'm doing a lot of reading, painting, just just taking it easy, really. How have you spent your time during lockdown, other than what you just said with with reading and? Well, I've been in the studio. I've actually uh, it got to the point a couple of months ago where I just couldn't take it anymore. So I've uh, I've been recording. And um, I've got like four tracks I want to put out uh, as part of the Wooden Heart series. And um, uh, but it's just getting people uh, that are still in business, you know, still working that, that are not in lockdown. So um, I'm trying, you know, it's, it will get done in the next month. It's just everything's taking longer than usual. Okay. Well, we're on the subject of lockdown. What do you miss most? about your past life before COVID? Well, playing live, I miss the band. You know, they're sort of my closest friends and um, Tim, you know, Tim Hogan, the bass player. It's, we're, we're great friends and I, I, he moved to Sacramento so I don't really see him unless we're on the road. And we do about 70 days a year so I see a lot of it. We're traveling either day of the gig and, you know, but uh, just old friends, you know, uh, being able to fly, being able to go home to England, uh, see my mum. She's uh, she's 96 in February, so uh, time is precious, you know, and I spend a lot of time on the phone. But uh, life goes on, you know, and I found that um, if you really just, you know, go about it the right way, you can have a really great life still. It's just... Uh, it's just not as busy. It's not as you don't interact, you know. Right. I, 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 yeah. Visiting your mom, that would be a tough one. For the yeah. first few months of lockdown, you know, it, it wasn't any fun. But I started, you know, I lived in a neighborhood, and families were grilling out. Families were taking walks, and kids weren't in school, yeah. and mom and dad were home, and kids were spending yeah. time. And I thought, you know, a little bit of this isn't a bad idea. No, I like it. I think it's it's it's, uh, it's um it's good. You know, I mean, it's changed my life. You know, I've, I've had time to think. You know, when you when you're really on the road a lot and stuff, you're in the 
eye of the storm. You know, you're really traveling. You're at the airport, hotels, you're in the van, you're on stage, backstage, you're doing the show. It's like, you know, it's a lot. And it takes a lot to do it. But when that disappears from your life, you start to appreciate the smaller things, you know, and make the most of what's around you, you know? Yes. I, I listened to an interview that you had posted on your Facebook page. I, I don't remember who it was with. And you talked about your last show, and I, I believe it was somewhere on the East Coast. And you said... You, yeah, Florida. You took a train back to California. Yeah. Uh, do you love traveling by train, or were or flights not well, available? Yeah. Everybody likes trains, you know. Um, but I, I, I went to New York for 10 days after the, the, the gigs and just hung out in the city because that's really like home to me. And then it was, you know, it was this time last year. And um, and I always wanted to uh, take the train across America. So I, I booked a ticket, but I got a stateroom and um, spent three days changing trains in Chicago and... Um, and it was great, you know. It was um, it was a different way of uh, seeing America. It, uh, you got to see like New Mexico and places that you wouldn't normally see, like off the beaten track. And there's some desert towns. There's some really strange towns. There's a, a small town uh, in New Mexico. I think it's Las Vegas, and it's like really, uh, it's like the back of nowhere. And the train goes through it, and you see all these people and their lives, and it's uh, it was it was great to see America from that from that viewpoint. Okay, it sounds like a lot of fun. Sounds like yeah, a, like a lot was. of people might want to do. Well, the food was great. I got to say, <laughs> you know, the food was really good, and they put you in the dining car. You can't really say no. I want to sit by myself. They put you with strangers, and and everybody talks to everybody. You know, it's like. A, you get the nicest people. It's like uh, a lot of older people that don't want to fly and stuff, you know. But I had some great conversations, and uh, I really enjoyed it. I, I, I do it again. You might have been riding incognito if there was a lot of elderly people on there. And <laughs> well, you know, there's there's a guy that was going to a spiritual meeting with his wife, and uh, uh, in Santa Monica, some sort of like a, some. Uh, some meeting of people that were really into the uh, the meaning of life and and time and stuff. And I got into this conversation with him that lasted like three hours. It was like you know one of those conversations that you have once a year, and it was great. So uh, you know, and, and in the end, the guy asked, "What did I do?" And I said, "Well, I'm a singer." And he looked me up, and he was like, "Geez, you know." So it was uh, it was. <laughs> It was a bit like being James Bond, but it was good fun. I enjoyed it. Well, the last interview I did with you, I had asked you about your musical influences, and you talked about yeah. uh, Marty Robbins and yeah. the, the Cowboy songs. Was there was yeah. a particular Marty Robbins song that you loved? Um, uh, Hanging Tree? I don't know. I mean, there's, there was such a lot of them. I mean, it's... Uh, you know that that sort of uh, it's not just Marty Robbins it's like um, it's it's the whole cowboy thing um, when you're a kid in England uh, you know champion the wonder horse and some guys singing champion the wonder horse or ghost riders in the sky you know that stuff was part of the cowboy mystique and uh, and you know it, run, it was sort of like rock and roll to me it was like this American vision of uh, 
you know, the lone cowboy, which is kind of like Keith Richards, which is kind of like rock and roll. So it was just all connected. Were you a fan of the Western movies? Oh, yeah. I mean, as a kid, you know, I mean, uh, The Searchers is uh, is just a, an incredible... The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, you know, I mean... Oh, man, uh, The Magnificent Seven. I mean, you know, all those movies, Shane, you know, they were just uh, off the hook. I mean, um, I mean, just incredible. And, and you know, as, as the... As time went by, a lot of them got more and more intense. So it was the cowboy thing is uh, is pretty big, you know. I think I think we all wanted to be a cowboy when we were kids. Oh, absolutely! You know. So, so when you when you talk about you know the Marty Robbins songs and the, and the old movies, when you were taking the train through New Mexico, did that bring up the childhood? Or? Yeah. No. You look out. You look out at um at, at, at you know. At, I mean. New Mexico is like a, I mean, jeez. I mean, there's such a lot of America that you don't see when you're on tour because you're hitting the major cities and the secondary cities, you know. And then but the third cities, the real small towns, you sometimes get a chance to see those. And that really is the true America. You know, that's, that's the stuff that the buildings are incredible and the people are really incredibly outgoing and welcoming and yeah, there's a lot you don't see so I was glad that I got a chance to look at uh, you know I did a video for In Dreams uh, with Tony Scott the video director and we were in Monument Valley and just spending time with your feet your boots on the ground in Monument Valley looking at these mesas yeah, I mean, that's where they shot all the John Wayne movies. And I actually wound up on top of a mesa. You know, I don't know how many thousand feet up it was, but it was scary. I mean, I was like bolted down to the top of this mesa while they were shooting me. But I mean, just to have the chance to see that, you know, as a kid, you're watching it on a black and white TV. And years later, you're on top of one of the mesas. You know, it's, uh, it's the connection is pretty trippy, you know. I had, I had the opportunity when I was an IndyCar mechanic. It was a couple of us that were single. Somebody got fired. One person quit, and we had to drive the show car to Vegas once, and to drive the show car to, to Phoenix once, and we saw all those little towns you're talking about. And yeah. it, it was – we just happened to be driving through – I can't remember what part of New Mexico it was. Albuquerque maybe when the Balloon Festival was out. And oh, yeah. I mean, what's the odds that we get to just drive through and they're doing the Balloon Festival? It was – yeah, no, cool. you'd be surprised. Yeah, I mean, I mean, these these people have their own universe and lives, and and uh, you know, it's incredible. I mean, it's just I think it, you're just lucky to. I mean, you just get in a car and go. You know, it, it, I think driving across America is the next best thing to the trend. But I mean, you can actually get out of a car and spend a couple of days in these desert towns. You know, but. Um, it's an incredible experience, you know. You really appreciate the Spanish aspect of um, of American culture, you know. I mean, I mean, the, not just the food, but the the style of life, the dress, the interaction, the warmth. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a wonderful thing to to really be amongst that and appreciate just how much the Spanish culture has influenced uh, America. You know, I mean, it's just it's just part of what's going on. Yeah, the Southwest, all the art that's out there. That yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. Which which leads, which leads me to my question. You know, I, I know you're, you're you're big into your your drawings. Uh, yeah. And I follow you on Facebook, and you've made a you've got a whole bunch more drawings out there, and you've kind of switched over and doing a lot more guitars and maybe um, other than self portraits. What, what is, is it, is it extra free time that you've spent more time doing this, or is it the... No, I've always, I went to art school for four years, and, um, and so I've always painted, and, and I was always true, you know, but uh, the, the selfie thing is just like a little signature that's like a cartoon, and I would save that and, and give it, you know, draw it on fans' albums or give them an autograph and then do the little portrait as a, as a sort of a thank you. If they couldn't get into the show or they, they wrote to me, I would I would do that. And then people started ringing up and asking, um, can you do one, you know, like full on? And I, and I thought, well, you know, why not, you know? And so I started doing them and giving them away. And then it got so popular, people were like, why to buy them? So I started painting and drawing and putting them up on my website, John Wet Worldwide, and it, you know, sold maybe, I don't know, 150. And um, and then I branched out into, you can only draw yourself so much. <laughs> but then I started doing things like Eric Sarty, the uh, composer, and, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, philosophers, writers, people I admired. And... Um, and then I did some more abstract stuff. And now, you know, it's, it's kind of peaked where I'm sort of like going into, I'm probably going to do a series on Bob Dylan oh. and uh, and maybe some uh, outstanding people in my life, you know, and people around me. I, did a, I drew a guy in a bookshop a couple of weeks ago and that sold immediately. But um, when you go back to doing it, it isn't like playing the guitar. You know, you don't, well, it isn't like singing. You have to relearn the craft a little bit. And um, I've been doing that. And uh, I've been buying more and more canvases and painting and really jumped into it. And especially with this lockdown thing going on for a couple more months, I'm probably going to branch out into the real thing and start going back to some really serious work or, you know, whatever. But if you want to check it out, it's out there on John Wick worldwide.com it's uh, some of it's dark some of it's fun some of it's just you know what it is check it out well John I'm gonna I'm gonna brag on you for a minute so the listening audience can get a better sense of, of you and what I felt when I met you I, I met you back in the fall of 2019 at the Vogue and yeah you were running great gig. you were running late oh it was a great gig you were running late and you didn't have a lot of time but the time you took the, the few minutes you spent with me felt very honest and sincere and you know you signed my guitar you drew your little character of yourself and very humble and I remember right before you walked on stage you handed me your guitar pick and I mean you handed me your guitar pick you walked on stage and you were and you were playing and it was it was a neat scene, and and to go, I've I've seen you twice. I saw you at Market Square Arena back in the '80s with Cheap Trick. Um, that was back when Missing You was a big hit, and then, yeah, sure. And then I also saw you at the Vogue, and you know, two completely different style of places. Yeah. Are you when you were on this solo tour, and and I'm positive I could be wrong. 
you could have been selling out to bigger venues. Um, but are you were you picking those smaller venues for the intimacy of the closeness of the crowd and you know, the feeling you get from the crowd? Because it was it was magnifying. I mean, it was one of the best performances well, I've seen live. Yeah, no, it was it was the Vogue is an incredibly good gig, and I have to give a shout out to the sound guy and the monitor guy. It's um it's an exceptional gig. It's and we, and we know we had a really good gig. The whole thing took off from the downbeat to the end. Um, those kind of venues that hold somewhere like a thousand people, um, that's what's going on. Unless you're an arena rock band. I mean, for me, I would, you know, we do festivals and we do really big shows once in a while, but most of what we do now is 500 seats to a thousand. And, um, that we, we, we have a lot of acoustic songs. There's an, uh, uh, albums out that I've done called Wooden Heart that are acoustic songs. And we try and lean into that for a couple of songs. And we always have a drummer and um, it's, you know, electric bass. But we do try and make it just slightly almost storytellers. It's not like a, an evening with so much as a rock and roll show. But it does have the elements of... Um, of that acoustic thing so I try to give the audience both worlds you know as you get older you want to be uh, playing really seriously into the energy and uh, it isn't just about being a success on stage and making everybody feel good it's about bringing it you know it's about bringing what you are and you can do that in those venues and um, playing the bigger venues is great don't get me wrong I love it I was I was raised on that you know but the, the other thing is on the control. You can control the energy and you can you can really, like I said, bring it and the band respond to that. And it's fun, you know, it's not it's not like pressure, you're not like flying everywhere. You you drive between these days. So it's a lot more human, you know. And you see some of America and wherever you might be playing. I mean this year we were supposed to go or last year, we were supposed to go to Europe and play uh, 20 days and that's been moved you know so you do the best you can with wherever you are you just bring it that's all I know well you brought it you brought it that night the band brought it so no it was good I, I, I remember the energy was like coming out of my boots I mean I, I just really it was it, 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 you came at the very end I mean I loved your songs when you did Led Zeppelin at the end I mean it it just blew the house off it was well incredible. yeah you know it, it's fun to do it, and you know, if you're doing the acoustic electric thing, it really sort of uh, finishes the evening off. It just sends people, you know, it's great. I mean, I enjoy that, you know. I, I was so high that night from the energy. I don't. I don't think I slept. <laughs> Should try being me. <laughs> I can't imagine. I, it, I, I, uh, something, something that night that kind of stuck out with me was uh, you didn't have normal... I went to the merchandise table and there wasn't normal stuff there like t-shirts and sweatshirts and, and hats. It was uh, custom-made jewelry and earrings and signed CDs and your art. Um, is that something you just had an idea, hey, I want to... I, I don't want the normal t-shirts. I want to try to... No, 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 no. We, 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 we just, you know, we didn't do a run of t-shirts. We try and uh, carry as much merch as we can. And we have two girls with us, Michelle and Liz, who uh, show up at the gigs and... and uh, 
and they make jewelry, really great drum weight kind of like medallions and bracelets. Yeah, 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 and they're great girls, and we, you know, they're part of the family. But they they look, take care of the merch. But since then, we've had a whole new run of t-shirts. Uh, made and uh, when we get back out there we'll have the t-shirts if you want them they're on site you can get them on, online but uh, you know we, we try and bring what we can okay uh, the next question I have for you I've heard in other interviews uh, since since the lockdown that I, I don't know if somebody asked you if, if you were going to write a book or you've thought about writing a novel but have you ever thought about writing your memoirs I mean you've had a an interesting life musically from, yeah. from the babies to the solo to bad English to back to being solo and all your touring is that something you've ever yeah. thought about or well yeah I've got, you know I've seen other people's books I mean they just rewriting the past and some of them are startlingly honest I mean Bruce Springsteen's book I think was the best one it was the best written and it was the most uh Reflective. I think he, he looked at himself honestly and took you on a trip from Jersey around the world and back to Jersey. You know, it was, it, it was um, I really, really enjoyed it right up to Live Aid. And then Live Aid, it got kind of like it's just stadium, you know, and just dealing with stadium. But um, up to that point, Bruce was like uh, doing a lot of soul searching and really reaching for the real thing. And uh, it was an extraordinary book. And Keith Richards' book, too, was wonderful. I really enjoyed that. Um, but, you know, I tried to... I, I started to write the first few pages of the memoir. And, um, this, you know, it's, it, this, there's a lot of different versions of what's going on. People see it very differently. And if I just wrote what I thought was going on in my life, I, it just wouldn't be maybe the truth. I mean, you, I think somebody else... To do a biography is probably more truthful. Um, there is a documentary being shot as we speak, um, a major film, actually, on my life. And uh, that's right in the middle of being filmed and interviews and archival footage and, you know, the babies and all that stuff. It's, it's in the middle of production. So that's going to take care of a lot of that for me. Okay. Um, but... Um, at the moment, I have no real plans to sit down and write it, no. Okay. Well, I've got some good video footage of that night, and I'm going to submit it to that person. Oh, great. Talking about. Great. So, yeah. Maybe yeah. it might make it there. Maybe it might not. Um, no, no, no. We'd like to have it. I mean, um, that kind of thing is, is great. You know, I mean, we'd, 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 I mean, they've got videos that I didn't even know existed back from, like, the 70s and stuff and talk shows and, I mean, just extraordinary stuff in Japan, Germany. But um, the modern stuff, would love to have some. Okay. Um, if you had not been a successful musician, yeah. what would you have chose as another career path? Well, I went to art school, so I was going to be an illustrator. I mean, I was very serious about it. And I uh, got a diploma, and um, that's what I did. But I joined a band, and, and they took me down the road less traveled. You know, it was like a, a fork in the road. Do you want to be a painter or a musician? And I chose musician. I thought he was more honest. So, um, but having said that, you know, there's not a lot of jobs in art. You know, you can't really make a living out of it. I mean, apparently I am at the moment. It's, it's jumping off the shelves. <laughs> but, you know, uh, back 
back in the 70s, it was almost impossible to get a job in the arts. So I, I chose rock and roll. So I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm just very, very grateful for the life I've had. I, I, you know, I've toured the world, been number one a couple of times. People take me seriously. I'm still doing it, and I'm doing it. I think knowing Kemp had a similar story I watched on an interview with him where he he went to go get an art deal and came back with a record deal. So, <laughs> so she's life, you know. That's his life. Uh, yeah. I'll go back and, you know, kind of reiterate on something to, to get to another question. You were with the babies in the 70s. Uh, you had a great solo career. You were with Bad English. You're back to a solo artist. Uh, this is really a two-part question. How do you deal with success being in a band versus success as a solo career? Oh, well, the band thing is easy. You know, if the wheels are coming off, you just turn around to the guitar player and say, do you want to take this question? You know, there's four of the people generally, or three, but to make it work. Being solo is just everything at once all the time. And it's... Uh, I, I was just thinking about that before you called up, but for the first couple of years, it was fun because it was so extraordinary. And then the shine kind of wore off it, and I decided to go back, um, just step back. You know, I, I wanted to do the work I wanted to do. I think once you're number one, you've got to get out of jail free card. You know, you can do basically, and that's how I saw it. And um, I had a wonderful time for those two years running around the world. And but, but I really did want to pull back and have a life. You know, there's more to life than having your picture taken. And I wanted to um, try out different musical things. And I suddenly had enough money to do that. So I would say being in a band is way easier than being solo. Okay. One of my favorite parts when I saw you at the Vogue... Uh, was you told a story about the writing of the song Bluebird Cafe. Yeah. I, I really, it really meant a lot to me. Before we play that song, would you mind telling that backstory to the listeners? Well, which, which, which story would it be, though? The one about writing it with Danny Lowry? Yes, yes, and how you went. Yeah. How, yes. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I was, I, it, it was the early 90s or mid-90s, and I was spending a lot of time in Nashville just living there because it was the acoustic the guitar that was driving all my music. I wasn't going country, I just loved the acoustic guitar, and there was a lot of storytelling in songs. And I went down to Nashville, and I think I wrote six songs in six days, and I used them all, you know, the old masterpiece of loneliness, imaginary girl, etc. And um, this guy, Danny Lowry, had driven like 300 miles or something from the south to, to work with me. And we met, and he was a great guy. He lived on a mountain, and uh, really a nice man. And we got on like a house on fire. And we sat down to write this song, and I just absolutely couldn't come up with anything. I was spent, you know, I just won myself out. You know, I don't mess around when I'm writing. I really go for it. I, I was tapped. And by 12 o'clock, we looked at each other and said, oh, God, you know, what are we going to do? And uh, we went for a beer. 
at the Crab Shack, which is a, a, a kind of a restaurant that used to be at the end of Music Row. And this girl came out of nowhere. She was Iranian. She was absolutely gorgeous. She was about 17. And she was full of life. And we were trying to flirt with her, you know. Two old geezers trying to flirt with a beautiful young girl. <laughs> and, um, as you do. And um, she said she was going to see her boyfriend that night and sing on stage with him at the Acer Clubs. Which is not, no longer a club. It's been pulled down. But that was a, a real mainstay in Nashville. But, um... And I was looking at this girl, thinking, what, what's her backstory? You know, where did she come from? How do you get to be that full of life? And Iranian, you know, Persian, and in Nashville. And she was a knockout. She was so full of life. And, you know, hadn't really seen anything bad in life yet. You know, it was like she was just pure. And I thought, you know, whatever her story might be, that's what we're missing when we go back to the studio, you know. That's, so we went back, me and Danny, and um, Donny, and um, we sat down and wrote about her. He had this wonderful line, young hearts can fly restless and wild. And I couldn't do anything at all with it. And as soon as I saw the girl, everything fell in. I just wrote about this girl. And um, the actual track on the album is one take. It's um, the microphone was going to go back. We we rented a really expensive microphone in New York City, uh, and we I couldn't sing. I was like hoarse. I was just worn out. And I took a run at it and got the entire song in one take. And it's the only time I've done that. But that song has magic all over it. I think it's um, it's just one of the best songs I've written, and all all praise to, to Donny, you know. It, it it meant a lot to me that night, and it was just it was just beautiful, and I love hearing the story behind it. Uh, listeners, let's let's take a listen to uh, the Bluebird Cafe. We'll be back here in a minute. Cafe. That was the Bluebird Cafe. I'm your host, Alan Kiger. If you're just tuning in, my guest today is John Waite. John, with your musical success, what do you like about fame and fortune, and what do you dislike about fame and fortune? Uh, you know, fame and fortune has given me all the freedom in the world. I think I've had two regular jobs in my life, and um, I didn't like it. I didn't like having a boss. And uh, I wasn't really good at taking direction. So it allowed me, fame and fortune allowed me to have a life that I, you know, have been very grateful for. I mean, on the other side of it, um, being young and having everybody climbing in through the window and uh, stopping you in the street, that gets weird. But I got used to it, you know, I'm a pretty shy person. Uh, growing up and I didn't know really how to sort of you know I would spend time with people and say hello and be kind as possible but I was I never really knew how to do it and over the years I've just learned how to listen and shake hands and look people in the eyes and just be as decent as I can and um, I don't run away from it and therefore it isn't a threat you know it's um, it's easy once you think about it, it's easy as pie, you know, being famous. But learning the ropes is, um, that's a whole education, you know. Okay. 
what would you consider your definition of success to be? To really hit it, to, to do something that's different um, against the odds and against the rules, not to be formula, to really reach for something. And uh, when you get there, and if you do that, you walk around half an inch taller. You know, you really feel like you're in yourself and you're proud of yourself and the work you do. If you're just doing it for the money or trying to sell products, it's just like having any job, you know, it's just that you're a musician. So I've always stayed away from that. I've always tried to bring something different. And sometimes I think I've done it. But um, I'm not the person to say. It's the person who listens to it that would know, you know. Okay. Well, John, at this part of your career, um, you, you, we talked about your art. What I mean, you, you've been successful with two groups, and you've been successful solo more than once. What do you still wish to accomplish in the music business? Um, you know, I, I, I haven't really got any more ambition to do uh, the, the work. Like I said about being number one. It's like a get out of jail free card. I mean, it's that once you get to that point, people know your name. You're not running uphill anymore. I mean, I just, I'd like to do, I mean, I've just covered a Dylan song um, for the new release that's coming up. And it's probably the, I think, it was the, it was the most challenging song because it's, it's really, you could say it was his masterpiece, but with Dylan, it's, that would be ridiculous because everything he does is a masterpiece. But vocally, and to be to be in the song, I did it. I mean, I, I know I did it. I mean, it's, it's really, it surprises me what's invested in the song. It's a very dark song. But that could be, you know, my testimony that that performance could be the last thing I do. I mean, I, I really don't know. Every day is different. And uh, you approach it with uh, the gloves off. You know, you just really try to be as true and real and as uh, authentic, that's the word, authentic as is possible. Well, I want you to know something. This goes against what I usually do in an interview, but I have two great friends that have, that have both passed away. One passed away when, when I was 26, that's yeah. and, and one passed away the day after Christmas of this year. And we would, we would go water skiing starting March, and we're in Indiana, so you know, as soon as, soon as there wasn't ice in the water, we were water skiing with our wetsuits on, and we burnt up three babies tapes just in the water, water skiing on Saturday and Sunday. And they both worked part-time for my dad. I worked full-time, and my dad was so furious about us. We come in to work on Monday, we could hardly stand from water skiing. But we listened, we listened to that baby's tape, and we shared it over and over and over, and we all loved it. Oh, man, that's and, great. And I don't know if you hear people talk about stuff like this, and I don't, maybe songwriters don't get enough appreciation of, you know, my two friends are gone, but I can stick on that baby's tape yeah. and have those memories. Yeah. That, are, that will live forever. You know, well, that's what wonderful. a great gift it is that yeah. you get to give people. And I, I well, think no, people need to know that's that. wonderful. I, I, I understand where you're coming from. And, you know, the, I mean, that's that's a beautiful thing. You know, yeah. that's just beautiful. So, I mean, I, I you know, I, that's great. I, I, I'm not the only one. I'm sure your music is touched just like many other musicians. So. Well, you know, 
a lot of music has touched me. I mean, it's like a, a lot of music has, has moved my life since I was old enough to know the difference, you know. Well, we're nearing the end here. I want to I want to talk to you and see if you have any, do you have any schedule lined up after, you know, shots are out or, you know, more things are No, open? there's nothing. There's, there's nothing. I, I just saw in the paper today that Dan Wilson... Uh, no, Nancy Wilson was saying that there's a, 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 an offer to go on the on, on to play a day this year, and uh, you know people are starting to talk about live shows again. But I honestly don't think. Um, I just don't see it this year. Um, I think people, Europe is on fire with this with this virus, and there's new strains of it, and. Um, you know, to get everybody vaccinated is going to take a year, you know. And I think there's people who don't want to be vaccinated. And there's still people out there that think it, 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 there is no such thing as COVID. There's like lunatics out there too. So I think um, it's going to be a year again. And um, But it will come back. And I think when it comes back, everybody's going to be raring to go. The shows will be great. The audiences will be great. We'll be glad to see each other. It'll be a warm, wonderful celebration of music. And I think I can't wait for it. But uh, bring it on. You know, any any time it's ready to go, I'm right there. Okay. Well, well listeners, make sure you follow John on Facebook. And, and go ahead and give your, your plug for your website where people can, can purchase your art. Yeah, it's John Waite Worldwide. Com. Um, and it's it's all there, folks. Between John Wade Worldwide and Facebook, you got full access. Well, John, thanks for being my guest on Sights and Sounds promotion. I've really enjoyed having you again. No, it's it nice to talk to you. A good man. I really enjoyed meeting you, and I enjoyed our conversation. And uh, you know, Indiana, man, it's great. Well, the sun's shining today, so it's really great. <laughs> And that's really great. You know? Well, I mean, we get our share of rain, but we we don't get our share of sunshine in the middle of winter, so I love it. Uh, yeah, there you go. Well, thanks very much. I appreciate it. God bless you, man. Thank you. You've been listening to Sights and Sounds with Alan Kiger, sponsored by Hawkeye Storage in Danville. Join us the first Sunday of every month at 11 a.m. on WYRZ. And don't forget, if you miss a broadcast, you can hear the podcast at sightsandsoundspromotions.com, where Alan hangs out with music royalty. Hawkeye Self Storage in Danville has electricity hookups, 14-foot tall doors, and 60-foot drive lanes, private bays, interior and exterior lighting with 24-7 access gated entry. They also feature indoor RV and boat storage with three locations, 1303 East County Road 200 South in Danville, 7410 West U.S. 36 in Danville, and 2238 West U.S. Highway 36 in Danville. More information can be found by calling their phone number at 312 312- Seven seven four five two seven zero zero, or by going to their website, HawkeyeStorageUnits.com.